You are listening to a Sunday morning message from River Corner Church. River Corner Church is a growing church community of everyday people who gather to worship God, follow Jesus, and journey through life together. You are invited to gather with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you have any questions about something you heard in this message, or if you want to learn more about our growing church community, visit us online at rivercornerchurch.com. I don't know about you, but sometimes we have a way of having things or collecting things that never actually get displayed. You know, when I stopped pastoring full-time in East Petersburg Mennonite Church, I lost this office with wrap-around bookshelves that my 2,000-some books sat on. And when they came home, they came home in yellow hardware, uh, what do you call it, Home Depot uh, storage bins, and some of them today still remain in yellow Home Depot storage bins because I have no place to display them. Other ones are stacked on the floor high, but they're not displayed in the way that I would love to see them displayed. Same with my bobblehead collection. I love going to a Phillies game or the Barnstormers and being able to get a bobblehead and put it on display. But right now they're inside boxes and they're inside cabinets longing to be displayed. But right now the only person that's aware that I have them is me. This week I graduated from Fuller Seminary with my second master's degree and somebody asked me, Do you, are you going to hang this one next to the other one? To which I said, I never hung the first one. <laughs> I have plenty of degrees that are in a pile on my nightstand, under my nightstand, but they've never been framed and put on display. At first value I think, well that's not why I got them. I got them to grow, not to display. But I guess what good is something that we have if we never display it? Does anyone else have something in their life that they've owned and never had to put on display, right? And you think to yourself, someday I'm going to figure out how to get that on display. And the truth is, time happens and we don't. This morning we're going to be looking at a story in Mark 4, 21 through 25. And in Mark 21 through 25, huh, it worked when I was at the back. Phil, you may just have to advance me. Just hit the arrow there. There we go. And we're going to continue our series this morning in Mark, our series looking at how Jesus continues to declare as Mark's gospel starts that the time has come, that there's an opportunity for us to repent and to believe the good news or to experience the good news. We get to see how heaven is making a difference here today for us. And Mark captures that kind of idea in all of the stories that he tells of Jesus and his life, and his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Mark 4, 21 through 25 reads like this. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. 
Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even though they have, will be taken from them. Now, first glance, when we read this story, I'm sure that you begin to think of the other times that Jesus said similar things. Matthew and Luke both capture this same story, and ironically, they tell the story a little different. Mark takes a whole bunch of truths that Jesus says in several stories and compiles them into a singular story here. Some of these lines appear with other stories in Matthew and Luke's gospel. In this story, Mark has compiled a narrative from Jesus where he's speaking to his disciples about a lamp and a measure, but not just his disciples. He's also teaching to all the people that have gathered with him at the Sea of Galilee and are on looking and listening to him. And he says that none of us are going to grab a lamp and take it into a room and put it under a basket. If, not, if you try that, by the way, uh, a fire alarm may go off. Bob will have to report to the scene because those kind of things don't usually go well together. He says, but instead, you need to take the lamp and put it on its stand. Notice that language there, its stand. There's a rightful place for it, a rightful place in the center of the room. He also then goes on to say that everything that's hidden eventually will be revealed, and everything that is secret will eventually come to light. And finally, he warns his disciples to pay attention to what they hear and to use the capacity that they have been given, and we all have a different capacity, we all have different capabilities, to use whatever we have to listen and understand to the fullest of your capability and capacity so that more wisdom and knowledge will be given to them, that their capacity and capability could grow. As I thought about this story, I wondered what it might look like in this time and in a world where everyone has their own YouTube channel or social media channel and they're trying to gain fame, it would be like the person who continued to put out how-to videos but had no followers, right? What good is it for you to continue to do this if there's not actually a fruit that's coming out of it? Right before this story, in Mark 4, 21 through 25, Jesus has begun teaching at the Sea of Galilee. He begins to use parables. I skipped the parable in between this uh, passage and the one that we looked at last week, only because we looked at it earlier this year in our parable series, or last year. And he taught about this parable of the sower, the mustard seed, and the lamp now under the basket. And after teaching the crowd, he begins to tell his disciples some of the meaning. And we find this passage following that right there. And right after this, Jesus is going to continue to travel through the hillsides, journey on. He's going to calm a storm. He's going to heal a demon-possessed man. And he's going to increasingly face opposition from the religious leaders. Up to this point, we see that Jesus is saying, I'm doing a new thing. And then he calls his disciples right after that and ordains them to be part of that new thing. And that new thing will separate them from everything they've ever known. It'll drive them into a place that puts them at odds with their way of life, their way of living. And it's here that Mark begins to unpack what that different thing looks like, that different way 
what is this life they've been committed to? And there's a tension in this passage. As we look at this passage, we see this tension between transparency or secrecy or vulnerability and the idea of hiding something. Jesus speaks of these mysteries that are hidden and will be shown as long as we trust in God's timing for the revelation. In this day, it was very common to tell stories like this. The rabbis in Jesus' day also told parables and illustrative stories. They would use it usually if they found a nugget of truth that they've never seen before. So if you and I were reading the scriptures and something stood out to us like we've never seen before, we would kind of see that as a treasure chest in the text. It needs to be opened, and then we would study it, and, and eventually we'd want to invite other people to see what we've seen, and so they would invite people into the story by telling story. They wanted to help others find that treasure as well. However, Jesus does something different. He's not revealing new truth into old scripture. Jesus is revealing new truth into the insight of God. He wanted them to understand what God's message was for them in the here and the now. And these texts, these stories, were not meant just as a witness to what God is and who he is and what he's doing, but it was also a foundation for the disciples to build their ministry and their lives on. And that teaching remains just as a foundation for us to reveal God's message to us, a foundation, a message that we are to build on, to collaborate with and live out both individually, each of us, but also communally, as we'll see here in a little bit. Throughout the scriptures, we see that Jesus is certainly a master of illustrative storytelling. As Jesus tells parables and stories, his audiences would have been captivated and captured by images of everyday life and the places that they live, work, and play. And even though we live and work and play in very different contexts, The truth is, it's still pretty easy to get captivated with the image of what Jesus is saying and the story that he's telling here, even thousands of years later. Stories, science has continued to find, brain science continues to find that stories drive truth into us deeper than informational truth. When we're invited to be part of a story, it touches our consciousness, our psyche, at a much deeper level than something we've been told or even something we've experienced. Story has a way of embedding itself into us. And that's why we love a good story. Movies can be a good story. Books can be a good story. The way that we sit around at a breakfast table or a coffee table and tell stories to each other, the reason we tell those things is because of the power of the way they connect with us, but also embed in us. Stories help us put flesh and, blo- uh, flesh and clothes on a skeleton or a framework of truth. In learning to live in love like Jesus, I think the learning of storytelling is an important one. It's important that we become storytellers and that we learn to invite people into the story. There's a difference when we tell a story of what Jesus has done for us than when we just tell people informationally what Jesus is capable of. Personal story will always embed truth at a deeper level. And story will always captivate a person's mind and their heart and plant a plain truth that will stick with them 
longer than other things that we can tell us. Now, regardless if we know the context of this audience or not, we get Jesus' main point. And Craig Keener puts it like this. Jesus' main point is this. Invisible light is pointless. I love that simplicity. That's the point of the story, right? Invisible light is pointless. Jesus' message is simple, that he wants God's story, a story of God's goodness and good news, to be seen and experienced by all. Not just wanting these people to get it. He wants them to experience it. He doesn't just want some people to get it. He wants the whole crowd to experience. Rather, Jesus wants God's goodness and his good news on display for everyone. The truth was certainly for the people Jesus is talking to, for his disciples, for the crowds on the hillside. They were to put the story of God's goodness on display. The truth was also for Mark's audience. As Mark writes about the life and the ministry of Jesus and to the audience that he's writing to, he too wants Jesus' words to inspire them to put God's goodness and good news on display. And now thousands of years later, the story stands as a witness for us. It's still relevant and important for you and I that God's Spirit longs to work in, with us, and through us to put God's goodness and good news on display. And what that looks like is what I want us to take away from this morning. Because it's not just a personalized, privatized faith. There's a demonstrative aspect. It's more than just embodying the truth, but we have been called to announce and to demonstrate it. Now, at this time, lamps were very small. I have a picture of one here. And lamps were made out of clay. They have a small reservoir. They didn't get as bright as our lamps do today. They don't even get as bright as flashlights or LED camp lights that we think of. And they're way dimmer than even our kerosene lamps that we might put on display in our cases or in antique stores. And to make them bright, these lamps would have a special stand that was centered in the room. And they'd be placed there in the center so that it could push the shadows to the outer part of the room. Some suggest that bushel baskets at this time would have been placed over these clay lamps to extinguish this light. Now, I'm far from an archaeologist or a historian, but I have my doubts that putting a bushel over a lamp would out in it. Well, that was a very dutchy thing to say, to turn it off, right? I, I think, rather, if there is anything that putting a bushel over a lamp did was dampen the light. It softened the light. Perhaps your kids are asleep in the room and you put a basket over to bring the light down some so that you could still sit there and move around in the room. And I suspect that Jesus wasn't talking about totally extinguishing light, but rather he was talking about people who dampen and soften light out of looking for an acceptability. In the Old Testament... The language of a lamp is often used to represent God. We see this in 2 Kings 8.19. It's there that the author writes, The Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. In 2 Samuel 22.29, Samuel writes that David sang this song right after a moment of deliverance in which he says, you, Lord, are my lamp. 
the Lord turns my darkness into light. So here in this Mark 4 passage, Jesus is the lamp that God has sent. The passage starts by saying, if any of you bring a lamp into the room, who's the lamp that's being brought into the room? God is bringing the lamp of Jesus into the room. And it's not meant to be hidden. And rather, the religious leaders are trying to turn down the message of Jesus. It's too radical. It's too unacceptable. It looks different than what they're used to. It made them uncomfortable because it stretched their paradigms. They've lost control in the moment. And so rather, as they continue to dampen and try to turn down the message of Jesus, Jesus is arguing that rather God wants his message in the center of the room on display for all. And it's to show all that he is. And the Holy Spirit makes that same point in the text for us. We are called, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God. And, and when we have that sense, there's an inbreaking of God's presence through the Spirit of God that becomes central to the room or central to who you and I are, the inner workings of we, who we are. The story of the lamp uh, does not appear with these stories in any other writing, right? There's, there's a reality that this story here, how Mark has put it, is not like how Mark tells it, how Luke tells it, or how some other early texts that we have from other authors uh, put it. Mark strategically puts this story right here, uh, and he pulls from a rather large pool of Jesus' sayings, and he uses it to point out the same of the parables that Mark has just told. Mark is offering further insight into the meaning of the parables. And as they're sitting at the Sea of Galilee, as he uses parables and now this illustrative story, Jesus wants them to understand what it means to center the rule and the reign of God in their lives, to have what we now call the Spirit of God in breaking at the center of who we are. And the point is clear. God's truth is not meant to be dampened or turned down, privatized or personalized. Anything created to be put on display isn't meant to be hindered in some way. Jesus is clear that his ministry, which will become the Holy Spirit's ministry for the church, is not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be on display. And with that in mind, Jesus points out that all the truth is in the open. It's not ever to be hidden. This is especially true with God's truth and message at Jesus' mission, our mission as a church, as River Corner Mennonite Church, also as the larger church, the big C church. All of us as Jesus followers are not meant to hide or tuck away our faith. And before you say, well, I would never think of doing that, I suggest that in American ways, we have personalized and privatized our faith we believe this quote that often says, preach the gospel without words when necessary. You know, to use your actions. Only use words when they're necessary. And the truth is, that's not the whole picture. 
We've been called to carry the light in the same way. It's not meant to be personalized or privatized. It's not just something between you and Jesus or you and the others in this church. It's not about internalizing your walk and arriving at some stage of inner working. It's about not just personalizing your ministry with Jesus, but experiencing who Jesus is or what the Holy Spirit can do. There's an experiential part to this. And rather, it's about what we do with what we have seen what we've come to know, and what we have experienced. Our relationship with Jesus then is defined by what we do with what we have seen, heard, or understood. Seeing, hearing, reading, understanding is not enough. Our faith is defined in this story by how we put that on display. In fact, in this story, Jesus warns them, if anyone has ears, let them hear. It's kind of a rhetorical thing to say. Sure, there's very few people in all of the time that have ever been born without ears, right? If anyone has ears, let him hear. Such a statement reminds us, though, that we're not just supposed to hear with our ears or read with our eyes now that we have Mark in a written form. But we are to he- hear and see with our spirit and with the spirit of God to allow the truth of this passage to penetrate our heart. Even more, that truth must do more than just fill our hearts or our minds or our thoughts and our inner selves, but it must overflow from our lives, not just by our smiles and the way we hold the door for people or the way that we tithe, but it must overflow in our lives in noticeable and unnoticeable ways. And what I mean by that is that it also must flow out in ways that it just oozes out of us naturally that people can tell there's something different about us, that we're not intentionally putting on a front, we're not intentionally doing an act of kindness, but there's something different about us that is in unnoticeable ways different. Now, perhaps what follows this story marks narrative that we should pay attention to. Regardless if Jesus taught the next part all at once or not, or if he's pulled from a, a pool of sayings, it's applicable to the story. Listen to this. Jesus says, using language from the places that they live, work, and play, he uses a sense of measuring that was used to measure when they bought com- commodities in a market. So if they would have went to the market and they needed something, it would have been measured. There was a word there used to how things were measured, and that's the word Jesus uses here. It's an economic term. It's the idea that sometimes, uh, also, by the way, was used to speak of God's judgment at the end of time. The idea here, though, is Jesus is saying one thing about the end that is coming to the here and now is there's a sense of judgment that's here, too. There's a sense of analyzing. When I say judgment, I'm not talking about uh, Judge Judy on TV slamming down her, her gavel and sending somebody away. What I'm speaking to is he's testing to see, he's analyzing to see who's proving their faith out, who's overflowing. And for Jesus, that's happening here and now. If these crowds and Jesus' disciples do not commit to their heart, their mind, and soul, to what Jesus is showing, then they'll not grow in understanding or in intimacy or further experience of what God's doing. We are given responsibility in relation to the commitment that we are willing to be obedient and present with the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. Jesus is analyzing what we do with what we have seen, heard, understood, 
and experienced. And the best way to tell if we're going to get more responsibility and intimacy with him is by seeing what we've done, how we've stewarded the responsibility we've already have, the ways that we've been obedient with the words, the ways, and the works of Jesus. Now, when Matthew tells this story, or Mark tells this story, uh, he does something different than Matthew. And when Matthew tells it, Jesus reminds his audience that they, too, are the light of the world. Now, this is something that Jews already believed about themselves. They believed that someday they would be put on a hill and everyone would have been made to see that the people that was marginalized and overlooked were now the right ones and the rulers, and that began to shape who they are. But Jesus is reminding them of that identity in a new way. He's telling them it's less about focusing on righteousness so you can become all about yourselves, but rather there is this illustrative part in which he wants them to get that they are to let their lights also, he says, shine before others. It's not just that this is who you are now that you're a follower of Jesus. You are to do something with who you are now that you're a follower of Jesus. You are to let your light shine before others so that they may see the good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's always this outward, otherworldly, otherly, communal, evangelistic, missional, justice-based aspect of our faith that we have to live out. And if we're not living it out, and we aren't being faithful to the capability and the capacity that we've been given. And Luke's telling this story. He also captures Jesus in a different way. Jesus says there that your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. Now, science was very limited in this day, and they believed that the reason that your eyes were able to see is because there must have been a light somewhere behind your eyes that created a projector like Function And so when the light was out, when you were not able to see, there was some reason in you, uh, either sin or, you know, an injury that created uh, the lamp to go out, or it had blocked the light. So when you think of a projector, that is how, in this time, they understood their eyes working. And so Jesus is inviting them to say, your eye is the lamp of your whole body, what light what you light your path with is going to make all the difference. And Jesus' point is if they focus on the light, and he ultimately is the light, uh, when we are full of light, our lamps will be full and lit and overflowing. And Jesus is inviting his hearers, Mark is inviting his readers, and the Holy Spirit is inviting us today to see us in the light with him. There's a song in the 80s or 90s it was, it said, I want to be in the light as he is in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. And that idea is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. We are called to be the light as he is the light. Now, Peter spent his whole life of, uh, not his whole life, but a significant part of his life uh, at the side of Jesus and near at the end of his life following Jesus, he writes his friends and his disciples and he tells them, guys, You, River Corner Church, have become a chosen people. A people that are to be, and he uses the word possessed, with Jesus, in such a way that the presence of Jesus enters you. He says that they be possessed with the presence of Jesus so that they may declare the praises of him who has called you, where? Out of the darkness and into 
his wonderful light. He calls us out of the darkness and the scariness of the world into a place of light to push back on the light. And the same purpose is what we've been created for today. I don't think we have to turn on the news very long to realize that we live in a dark, hopeless, polarized, injustice, struggling, and lost world. There are significant pains and problems on the news every night. In the midst of this, though, we as followers of Jesus haven't been just called to be a remnant and to, to buckle down and stay faithful with a few spiritual disciplines. We've been called to live in that dark, hopeless, polarized, injustice, struggling world. In the midst of this, we've been called to push back on the darkness, to roll back the places of sickness and evil and the places sin has won and is ruling. Today is not much different than in the times of Jesus. It was in this dark world that Jesus remarks, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as John witnesses to the narrative on the life and ministry of Jesus, he actually says, in him Jesus was life, and that the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has what? Not overcome it. This was the eternal difference Jesus is making in this story. That darkness doesn't have the final say as long as we keep the light on. The internal difference Jesus is making is that the light has been turned on here in the darkness. We can find a way, and we can provide a way for others. Like Motel 6, remember those commercials? I'm Tom Bodine, and I'll leave the light on for you. Right? Like Motel 6, Jesus invites us to leave the light on. And he leaves the light on for you and I. But he calls us to leave the light on for others. Similarly, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and they're struggling, he reminds the followers of Jesus they've been called to be a community journeying through life together. And there he writes, you are together so that through the church, through us as River Corner Church, through us as the larger Big C Church, through the church, the manifold or multi-diverse layered wisdom of God may now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We've been called to be that light, to a witness to the darkness, to the power that surrounds this world. In Mark's passage and throughout all of the New Testament, we see the difference that Jesus makes. And he's declaring, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus tells us clearly that he is the purpose of our journey, and through life, we live together, that we're on journey together. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. But Jesus never wanted that journey to be just you, internally, or privatized, but rather a community work. In 1 John 1.7, John is old at this point, he writes, he says, but if we walk in the light, who? We, everyone together, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We are liberated from the darkness of this world, the troubles, the pain, the problems of this world, when we walk together in the light and have fellowship with one another. 
God is in the process in the middle of that community of making all things new. He's still on his throne. He's busy declaring that he is the light and breaking in with reconciliation, restoration. But he does that through you and me. He does it through you and me, especially together. Jesus told his followers, as long as I am in the world, you have the light. However, the scriptures show us that the plan for Jesus' exit was that you and I would be the bearers of that light, that we would keep that light on, to keep the home fire burning, to experience the perfect gift coming from the Father of lights, as James says, but also to do in such a way that the people of God will arise, as Isaiah says, shine for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That same prophetic call is there for us today. So what do we take away from this passage? What encouragements do we take away? Well, I think there's a few things that we take away. Like in Jesus' time, we must find ways to invite people into the light of God through story. Don't preach at them. Don't think that if you just do nice things to them, find ways to invite them into the story. If we believe Jesus is in the process of making all things new, How do we partner with God to make things new for them? How do we liberate them from an injustice, a pain or a problem, a sickness or a sin that they are wrestling with? How do we begin to invite them into the story? Secondly, we've been called to push back on the darkness or to lovingly announce, demonstrate, and embody that God's truth and message are meant to be put on display for all to see and experience. We don't just... Have personal Jesus. We have Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King for all. That we have been called to push back on the darkness so that we can announce, demonstrate, and embody God's goodness for all. To put it on display. To put it on its stand in the center of our houses, our lives, our churches, and our communities. Third, Jesus is the lamp. And we find the light of the path by keeping the light at the center of the room. We constantly need to be finding ways to reorient ourselves individually and communally back to the light. It's amazing when you play in the shadows what you can believe is light that isn't light. We must continually orchestrate ourselves back into having the light at the center of all that we are. Jesus, lastly, desires an intimate and authentic relationship based on obedience and trust in God's word. And a community of believers is crucial for this relationship and mission. Right? We've been called to see him as the light, to be obedient to what he's asking of us, so that we can grow our capacity and our capability. If we just prioritize it and personalize it and privatize it, that's all we're going to get out of our relationship. But the greater signs and wonders, the greater interventions of God, the moments that we see God break in is when we're willing to put God on display. This week, I had a chance to pray for somebody that doesn't believe God heals today or he struggles to believe that God heals today. And in that moment, as we were talking, he was telling me that he was feeling a little sick and uh, feeling kind of uh, uh, down. I had the moment uh, to pray for him. And in that moment, he came later and told me that he felt that God lifted the sickness from him and that he didn't feel it anymore. 
And then I was in the hospital earlier in the week, and I got to pray for somebody, and we both had a sense that God did something in that moment. And the truth is that when we're willing to put God on display, he'll show up. But the more that we don't put him on display, the less we'll see God at work in the places that we live, work, and play. If we claim to know Jesus, if we claim to be a church that follows him, if we claim as individuals to be a follower of Jesus, then we must remember invisible light is pointless. Invisible light is pointless. As we close out, I invite you this week to reflect on this passage, a passage of what it means to recenter the light at the center of our lives. And ask yourself, where did the Holy Spirit grab your attention in this story? What is Jesus asking you to do in response? And who has God put in your life as a resource or an accountability to actually help you walk it out? Because our faith, the faith that we steward, only grows in capacity and capability when we can steward well the measure he has given to us already.